0: Oh yeah, good morning everybody. It is Wednesday, March 1st. It's hump day and today is National Pig Day, National Horse Protection Day, Self-Injury Awareness Day, National Minnesota Day, National Dad Dad Gum Day, whatever the hell that is, the good guy, that's that's good guy, National Fruit Compote Day, and National Sunkissed Citrus Day, and finally, National Peanut Butter Lovers Day. I love peanut butter. Thank you for joining us and getting high at 9 with us. It's also high noon on the East Coast. And please remember to like, share, and subscribe to us on all social media platforms. You can use that little QR code right there in the top left-hand corner of your screen to find out where we live on the Internet. And we're live every Monday through Friday on YouTube and audio only on Clubhouse. If you are joining us in Clubhouse, you can also participate in the show by raising your hand if you have a brief comment on the story most recently presented. So coming up first, I'm going to deliver today's first story today because we got a couple people that are late today, but nonetheless, we're going to keep it moving for you. All right. So without further ado, let me pull the story up for you. Where did you go story? There you are. There you are. All right, you guys, here we go. So this this story is in regards to the story that I talked about on Wednesday. And I love this kind of story because we have a prosecutor backtracking on his statements. And so let's begin the story. Okay, so maybe those gummies didn't contain heroin or fentanyl after all, he says. Montaco DA walks back statements about heroin and fentanyl and smoke shop gummies on Friday. I told you that the Montgomery County district attorney's office had sent out a red alert over THC like gummies containing fentanyl and heroin. This discovery came after two non-fatal fentanyl overdoses that investigators investigators had had traced to gummies purchased at tobacco hut smoke shops in Montico. And so officials confiscated a bunch of gummies from three tobacco hut shops, tested them, and voila. Every, wait, and voila. And so officials confiscated a bunch of, yeah, and voila. Every major local news outlet ran scary stories about smoke shop gummies containing fentanyl and heroin. Uh, Alas, things might not be as they first reported come Monday, uh, there was a hearing from sources that these results were either inaccurate or less than definitive. And by late Monday afternoon, Montgomery County District Attorney Kevin Steele more or less admitted to the same in a statement declaring, I don't have any definitive answers. And that is in a quote. It turns out that the investigators who performed the original test used some ridiculously sensitive portable equipment whose threshold for detection is 0.01 nanogram. One nanogram is equivalent to, get ready for this, I hope you guys can count how many zeros, 0.00000001 grams, which, if my decimal place counting is correct, is the same as one billionth of a hundredth said, uh, of a said nanogram. Over the weekend, investigators sent the supposedly fentanyl-positive products off to a lab for further testing, and the lab found absolutely zero illegal drugs in any of those products. It's unclear what the lab's detection threshold is, but it's clearly more than 0.01 nanogram, an amount that wouldn't even begin to get a person high. In a quote, what I do know is the public needs to be wary of these gummies, that are produced in an unregulated industry and is and, and 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 in varying settings. Steele said, adding that the public needs to know it is no it is in quotes buyer beware. In this world of edibles, a toddler getting a hold of them and ingesting them, or a teenager who eats a handful all at once, could be very dangerous. Steele also made it a point to thank the tobacco hut shops, which he said have been fully cooperative, in quotation marks. All of this, just more evidence that, that we need legal, well-regulated adult-use cannabis in Pennsylvania. Even the medical marijuana dispensaries aren't allowed to sell edibles. As with our, as with our liquor laws, we're very behind the times, they said. Well, I mean... I think you guys are definitely behind the climbs. And I wonder, since we have Dale in the room, I wonder if these guys are subject to any type of liable for their brand and whatnot, putting out this press release saying they had fentanyl. And the whole world probably thinks that that store, all it does is sell fentanyl. What do you guys think? This is Jason Beck reporting for the High at 9 News.
1: Well, I, I suppose there could be some liability for the prosecutor defaming somebody. Um, depends on whether these statements come out of official court proceedings. The, the bottom line is that a lot of them are full of shit with their scare tactics and you know how to get them to back away from that and, and recognize that you know if you, you try to scare teenagers, which we're trying to target to, they don't scare easy. So it's just stupid to say things like that. And then the labs come back and confirm it's not there. We have a black mark on our industry again because people want to believe this bullshit. And it's just a vicious cycle.
0: I mean, I mean, I mean, Dale, I mean, this is kind of we, we covered a story yesterday when we were talking about remnants in a scale, like with the mushrooms leaving trace residue in, in the in the bowl of the scale and people not wiping it out. And so I'm this this kind of sounds like to me, like uh, these law enforcement officers that had this detection device, they didn't clean it very properly from the last time they used it.
1: Well, it's calibration is a problem for any time you're doing a test that may take away someone's liberty. Um mm-hmm. And the roadside tests that they come up with, they're not very reliable in the first damn place. So to go very far with that, uh, I just, I think is stupid. My, my story today is about testing too. And they're, the standards for the testing are unbelievable. If, in, if you've ever taken chemistry, I, I took organic 40 years ago, but in some chemistry, if you touch the beaker, it screws everything up because there's enough oil on your finger to screw these things up. It doesn't mean anything as far as the quality of the product. It just means somewhere along the line, somebody picked their nose and touched something.
2: Mm-hmm. Interesting. This, this whole thing, it just seems so ridiculous. And I, I don't understand how the cops got it so wrong, frankly, uh, when they first came out and said that there was fentanyl in these gummies. Well, or I what PA, led them to, to that.
0: Cops. It was the DA that said this, not the cops.
2: Yeah, but it's not like the DA does the investigating. Clearly, That's the cops true. said to him, "Hey, there's fentanyl in uh, this." The Whoever the ones started the, the process, the
3: information. Yeah.
2: Yeah, and so the whole thing is just so ridiculous. And it sounds, frankly, no offense, like Montgomery County, uh, those nutballs out in the uh, eastern side of the state. Um, I I don't I don't know if this goes to the level of libel, frankly, because they came out, they said, "All right, we tested it wrong," but. I, I don't think it's going to be that dramatic. And frankly, really- I think Tobacco <laughs> Hut is just going to try and ignore this and move along. It's Very okay.
3: interesting to me. I'd be interested to pull the reader data on the initial article and then the reader data on this article, now that it's recanting what it has originally put out there to the world. Um, I don't know. I definitely consulting with an attorney
4: if it was my business. See. So there was also an article a few days ago about the same thing. And your article stating THC, this article stating Delta eight gummies. And nope. then they're also stating that's the, that's the same a- article
0: that I covered on Monday. That's that's oh, okay. the article that I covered on Monday. And this is the retraction to this that article. Okay. Yes. And this is Delta eight so gummies in- we're talking about.
4: Gotcha. Okay, so then did it also in the same article? It also stated initially that they were saying Packwoods cones were also yep. allegedly containing fentanyl. Okay. They did. Right. They did mention. Pack,
0: yep, we did Thank mention you. that on Monday too. And there was no illusion. Um, there was no no mention of that in today's story at all whatsoever. No backtracking at all.
2: Well, and uh, frankly, these are two very different uh, media companies that have done these stories. Jason, your original story I just checked came from ABC. Uh, which is not this publication uh, Philly mag. Um, So I think there needs to be a a much broader, um, more than a press release for the Montgomery County uh, DA to come out and really apologize for what was said here to really get the word out that, yeah, we're retracting. There was not fentanyl here. Do not be scared. And his bullshit line about, all right, you really need to look at these guys. I mean, come on, is he trying to double down on his mistake? It just seems a little ridiculous.
0: I just wonder if, if if the reason that ABC didn't recover the cover, recover this second piece is because it's owned by Disney and they just want to keep that narrative out there.
2: All right. I think you're giving a little too much credit to uh, conspiracy theorists and Disney, frankly. I, I know I mean, how a local newsroom works, and I can just guarantee you there was another bigger story the, the day that this happened. Last time I checked, conspiracy recall.
0: theorists were up 40 to zero.
2: You're out your mind. All right, move along. I cannot <laughs> take you early in the morning.
0: Uh, it's, it's the afternoon where you are, Gretchen.
2: That's true. See, you're messing up even my time zones in uh, my uh, head. Uh,
0: I bet. I bet move
2: along, Jason. Beck. I got right, good stuff coming. Right.
0: We're gonna we're gonna go to a quick commercial and we're gonna
5: be right back. At True Classic OG, we live by one motto. Stay true. We stay true to our legacy cut of true OG that's always fresh, piney, gassy, and delicious. We represent the spirit and hustle and diversity of our great city of angels, and we stay true to the spirit of this plant, doing everything in-house to ensure that you get the highest quality and consistency with every batch. And that's what made us LA's favorite OG. True Classic OG. Stay true, Los Angeles.
0: oh yeah that's right coming up next that's right we got Gretchen Gailey Gretchen is your guest with us is he he is he is with us okay all right perfect so Coming up next, that's right, is Gretchen Gailey. When she's out on the hill, you can find her representing her business, Panoptic Strategies. When she's back at home, you can find her baking cakes and dressing up her dogs in clown outfits because she believes in animal cruelty. That's right, is none other than the Gretchen Gailey.
2: Pajamas, when it is cold outside, Jason, are not clown outfits. I need to keep my babies warm. Anyway.
0: That's why they have her.
2: Uh, Whatever. My headline is coming from uh, Benzinga and full disclosure going into the story, uh, the Blink Group, which the story is about, is one of my clients. And that's how I was aware that this was occurring. But that does not change the importance of this to the industry. Uh, My headline, New York based cannabis vape maker defeats Chinese tech company in high stakes patent lawsuit. The Blink Group, an innovator in the cannabis vaporizer industry, has emerged victorious in a recent investigation initiated by Shenzhen Moore S'more Technology Limited with the International Trade Commission. S'more had alleged that Blink was importing and selling vaporization products that infringed on two of S'more's patents. However, after a thorough review of evidence and arguments presented by both sides, Chief Judge Cheney of the ITC cleared Blink of any wrongdoing finding that Blink's products did not infringe on S'mores patents. In a decision dis- dated February 1st, 2023, Chief Judge Cheney not only found S'mores allegations baseless, but also deemed the company's U.S. patent number 10357623 invalid for indefiniteness and unenforceable due to inequitable conduct in the prosecution of the patent family. This decision is subject to review by the full ITC. Blink's CEO, Arno Dumas de Raleigh, expressed satisfaction with the outcome, stating we are extremely pleased with Chief Judge Cheney's decision. Uh, He further added that Blink takes great pride in providing customers the highest quality vaporization products on the market. Uh, And today I have with us the man, the myth, the legend, uh, CEO of Blink Group and the chairman of the ISO standards board on vape, uh, Arnaud Dumas de Raleigh, to talk to us a little more about this case and what it really means for the industry. Uh, And for those who have never heard of S'more, which is probably a lot of you, uh, that simply means that they are a manufacturer of c uh, which controls about 70% of the vaporization market. Uh, Arno, can you tell us a little bit more about this and why this is really so important for the industry to take note? And what does this uh, basically uh, deeming this patent baseless uh, do for the rest of the vape space?
5: Great. Well, first of all, thank you much, everyone, for having me on the show. And uh, thanks, Gretchen, for the invitation um what this really means uh at first is that it allows options for any cannabis processor in the industry because this patent the 623 patent would have basically covered any vaping device even nicotine vaping devices um so we're very happy to have defeated that and our aggressive defense um, allowed actually the industry to have access to different kinds of products and avoid a monopoly by a Chinese manufacturer that was not able to prove any kind of domestic industry. Because to fight a case in the ITC, you need to be able to have a um, uh, domestic industry, so industry here in the US. Just having distributors um, like, like Tilt, like Greenlane, is not enough. There needs to be some R&D, there needs to be a nexus in the US, uh, which, which also wasn't the case. So um, in short, yes, this is a great ruling. It's kind of the story of David against Goliath. Um, S'more is a, that multi-billion dollar public Chinese company trying to get the monopoly on uh, vaping hardware here in the U.S. Uh, we're very happy we've been able to defeat that.
2: Do you think that there was a, a deeper... Uh, as Jason likes to look at conspiracy uh, behind Smore actually testing out this patent and taking you guys to court. Do you think there is another reason behind it? Were they really scared of the Blank Group?
5: Um, I think so. We have we have uh, we have some history. Uh, having been in the vaping industry since 2009, I obviously know all of these players. Um, I also know that all of the manufacturers in China who really want to create uh, vaping products. Their dream is to get purchased or acquired by any kind of big tobacco company. Um, that that's why this entire story and this entire test might have been a test to see if they could go after big tobacco and the patents for nicotine vaping. Um, again, that's just a supposition, not in a, not nothing based on on real facts, but just knowing the the history uh, with these companies. So this this has also been a move to try and dwindle down the time and focus of competition. Uh, all, 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 of, all of the main vapor uh, device manufacturers were named in this suit and some for three or four patents and even with uh, and even some with trademarks. Um, in the end, there were only three of us left and uh, the aggressive defense uh, from our team at Liston Abramson uh, really, really helped uh, in, in getting this done. I think... One of the other things to understand as well is this has to be ratified by the itc commission uh, but the way the judgment is written it's going to be really hard for the itc to go against what their own judge said um, and rarely happens and then pre- president biden uh, has a chance to weigh in and return uh, this judgment uh, i believe it's in june um, i don't see any way shape or form where they could do that um, where Biden. Would actually side with a chinese company attacking a u.s company in the itc which is a u.s institution
0: do we do we know what uh what what this was a federal court ruling correct
5: this was an itc court the itc is a total separate process than district court or federal but well, so so who opposed <laughs> those judges Um, The 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 judges are appointed by Congress. Um, By Congress, and the judges, yes, judges from the ITC court, um, and the ITC court itself is called the International Trade Commission and has very limited um, uh, time to prosecute these cases. That's why this case went fast. It lasted a year and a half, Um, and uh, and and there is there is no monies involved. We won, but we cannot recuperate. There's no exchange of monies involved. That happens in district court. What, can, what could have happened if we had lost here is we would have had an exclusion order to import the products that we manufacture um, in our Chinese facility into the U.S. And it would have been the case for everyone else named in this court case, of course.
0: So this sounds like a big win overall for American technology. In regards to the uh, war that's going on between the U.S. and China, with them infringing on everyone's patents and whatnot, and stealing everyone's IP from the states, is that what you oh, agree it, with? It that? it definitely is.
5: It's 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 even worse. I mean, you have a Chinese company that is attacking American businesses in America in an American court. <laughs> mm-hmm. So um, it's kind it of is- like the, uh, the 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 the. The, the, the worst thing you can do. do. Do do you see any type of
0: um any type of appeal that the that the Chinese would have to go to go against you guys?
5: There is an appeal process. It's very strict. Uh, seven days after the judgment, the appeal has been filed, and that's when the ITC commission is allowed to uh, either confirm the judge say um, no, we got to look at this again. But the timing is very very short, so this is something that really rarely happens
0: is that seven business days or just seven days seven seven days seven days do you do so the you judgment that- was in
5: february 1st they had until february 8th to file
0: motion. oh got it got it. okay so perfect. it's over yeah yes it's so this is totally over yeah well, they,
2: they
5: they have filed they have filed motions um mm-hmm. but uh but but for now nothing has been done about it and uh, usually the percentages are very low where the itc commission goes against the itc judge very, very interesting.
2: So, Arno, on on one separate last thing, if you want to say about Blink um, or any you know vape technology that people are looking into, because we're always discussing the safety of vape and this or that. That and I think Jason hates it, but whatever. Jason hates everything. Uh, what would you tell uh, folks who are trying to understand the best uh, way to find good vape technology, or what should they really be looking for?
5: I think it's to be honest just buy from respectable companies that you know will do their good due diligence um and and that's the big issue since all of these products are made in china they are literally just distributors so even when you buy c-cells they're being distributed by a manufacturer in china you have to understand if your supplier knows what's going on throughout the entire supply chain you have to look for serial numbers if you have cartridges that have no serial numbers on it then they can be from random batches or bought on Alibaba for fifty cents, um, and uh, and most importantly, uh, the hardware is 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 great. The oil is great, but both of them form the product. And if one of them is bad, it'll be bad consumer experience. So having a visibility on the COAs and and what the, uh, the 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 oil is like inside, whether it's resin, rosin, or distillate, is is super important. So Please just look out for those COAs and make sure that the products are legit. Have a serial number on them. You usually see them on the bottom of cartridges, um, or on the lips of, uh, of batteries, uh, which is which is very very important. Without that, you can be sure that they're just made in a sweatshop. Yeah,
0: I was, I got I got hip to that recently about the uh, little serial numbers on the bottom of the vape pens, on the bottom of the batteries. But where do you say that they put the these serial numbers on the cartridges?
5: On the cartridges, they're at the bottom of the cartridges. Um, on the Just before the thread that threads on. Uh-huh. So, so like, it'll just right it'll be, right be kind of like... This. They'll be right here on the outside.
0: Got it. Got it. Uh, so on the bottom of it, underneath, to hold it upside exactly. down. Exactly. It won't be Got visible it. when the cartridge is screwed in. Yes, correct. Got you. This has been very, very helpful. Thank you so much, Arnaud. This is fantastic. Congratulations on your win.
5: Oh, no problem. Thank you very
0: much. Dale, you have any thoughts on this being the lawyer in the room?
1: Well, I, I absolutely do. And uh liabilities coming to the manufacturers that will go upstream to the people who make these devices. And as Arno said, the device could be faulty. What's going in it could have problems. Uh, concentrations are one thing but having other chemicals solvents heavy metals things and it is going to create liability and I, I would like to see some of this manufacturing brought back to the states and see if we can recapture some of this because right now china is where you go and if you think you can trust everything coming out of china i got a bridge to sell you <laughs> yeah.
5: Yeah, that's, that's specifically why we have our own team on the ground over there which to me is super important um and bringing, bringing this industry to the U.S. is very, very hard because all of these coils are all made manually. And the, the, um, the rotation of the technology changes so often. Uh, we've estimated and, and done this project two or three years ago uh, to fully automate a line in the U.S. We would need to be able to pump out 5 million carts a month at $4. Today, a cart goes for maybe $2. Um and, and five million carts a month is probably what's sold in the entire US. So it's it's really, really hard. That said, there are ways to move, bring in some of the customization that's done, like on our devices, when you want to brand the ring, that ring can be done in the US and shorten lead times for processors and, and consumers. Mm-hmm. Um, quick quick question. Um in regards
0: to in regards to vapes, and you just kind of went and touched on 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 the pricing a little bit, um, one of the main reasons that we don't manufacture these products in the U.S. is because they would be too damn expensive because of the cost of our labor versus the cost of Chinese labor. Can you can you touch on that just a bit or not? And how much would a vape vape pen and battery cost a, a wholesaler if it actually was produced in the U.S.?
5: Well, this is the example I just gave you: a, a, an empty cartridge. Um, just to make things easier, we're going to say cost $2 now if uh, a manufacturer is selling it to a processor. Uh, if that vapor cartridge was made in the U.S., it would cost $4. So literally two times more. Double. A, a, double exactly. It's
0: because it's made in America with the U.S. labor because we have things like
5: uh, mandatory minimum wage and other stuff like that.
0: Exactly.
1: Unfortunately,
5: that's the case. But those sub Assemblies can be done the way if we make these in the U.S., remember, where are you going to get the raw materials from anyway?
0: That's a good that's another good point. But another quick question is, do you think could could you guys make an automated factory where you had basically no people with the new technology with A.I. and then still be U.S. produced and then you wouldn't be subject to those high labor costs?
5: That's the
4: example I was
5: giving previously. We looked at automating fully automating the entire the entire production chain uh that's a we need to produce to amortize this over 20 years five million cartridges a month there's just the numbers aren't there but i mean could
0: you get like some government grant to come take a large portion of that that
5: funding since you'd be bringing industry back to the america um i would i would love that i'm going to take your number down and send you a text afterwards give me that government grant no, that's what I'm talking about right there.
0: <laughs> yeah. Jason
2: Beck, we can't even get banking. You think they're going to give grants to do this kind of thing? Come on.
0: 100% to bring bring manufacturing back to the United States away from China? Yeah, 100%. Oh, they're my China God. Better. You know
2: how many times we've jumped up and down about cannabis and jobs? The, no one's listening at the administration. I'm not it's talking about cannabis
0: eat. jobs. I'm talking about manufacturing hardware jobs, not cannabis
2: I hear you. All they're going to hear is cannabis, cannabis, cannabis.
0: No, they not not when I'm in the room. They'll only oh, be spelling. They'll be hearing when I'm dishing out.
2: Look at you, King of Cannabis. <laughs>
1: we can manufacture weather balloons here and sell them to China. Wouldn't that work?
0: Yeah, that's what I'm talking about, Dale. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Oh man, this was fantastic. Thank you so much for coming on. Um, we really appreciate your insight in this story. And uh, we, we all do want to do better and we do want to buy American. Overall, but we got to we got to keep it moving coming up next. Thank you. That's right. Oh, yeah. He's been practicing. He's a 35 year practicing attorney with 23 years doing Fed time. That's right. For serving just a handful of patients. That's right. Trying to make sure that they had access to their medicine. But that's right. But now he's the proud co-founder of Armada Law Corp. It is the
1: Dale Schaefer. Uh, Good morning, everybody. Um, I'm going to, today's story is the ongoing saga of um, testing lab shopping. Uh, I believe it was back in January. We talked about a story about Cureleaf here in California. that got sued for false advertising and unfair business practices, excuse me, for overstating the THC content. Well, today's story comes out of Arkansas. It's from Law360, Mike Curley. And the headline is medical cannabis user says companies inflate THC content. Oh, my God. I'm so shocked, right? Um, Well, it seems that uh, last year they filed a federal class action, the same group, and they decided to go to state court. So the plaintiff in this case is a medical cannabis user in Arkansas has their card, and he's claiming personal injuries on top of um, liability for false advertising and it's this is being uh set out under the arkansas uh, deceptive trade practices act which is somewhat similar to our act here in california and every state has them and this is a warning to anybody who is um uh, putting product out there and having it tested and relying on these tests because what they're alleging here and i want to just emphasize this is allegations i read the complaint and it's you know i don't want to say it's mickey mouse but i'm always entertained at how some of these states allow pleading to go but what they're claiming is that this was at a cultivation facility and apparently testing labs are allowed to go to cultivation facility take samples there test them and put out their official certificate of analysis california requires it be done at a distributing facility with a video of who's doing it but what they're saying here is that the cultivation facility allowed some of its employees to become employees of the testing lab. They went out and cherry picked samples and the results they got were inflated. This group went and bought samples and they found out that the average 25% under what was being reported on the label. And this is a phenomenon we've seen across the industry. And some of the problems here involve testing standards. And I don't think we have uniformity in who does the testing. It's supposed to be independent testing. But if the allegations here are true, it's just fraud. And that's what they're claiming. It's fraud. They allowed this to go out. And he's claiming that he's a pain patient. And he went and relied upon the samples being 20% above to treat his pain. And they weren't. So he's claiming he suffered pain because he was not able to adequately treat it with cannabis because it didn't have enough THC in it. That... We'll see how that one goes. Yeah, I know, man. You, you go, okay, fine, cool. Take another hit, dude. Okay, I, I don't know what to say. But one of the problems that that I talk with my clients about is do R&D testing. Make sure you're fastidious and allow this to be independent. And you should be doing your own sampling. Go to these places where people buy the product, get it, have it tested. it's Not matching what your COA says. Go back upstream and figure out why. Okay, was it a lab error? Was somebody storing this too hot or too cold? Um, What was the environment it was kept in? How old is it? Because THC degrades over time and it turns into CBN basically, but there's a process it goes through. And I try to caution my clients to number one, get recall insurance, products liability insurance, in case you have to do this. Practices back in the old day, people used to practice. If a cop showed up, what are we going to do? Well, okay, if somebody makes a claim and there's a potential recall, what the hell are you going to do? Because this is going to be a problem across the industry as consumers are now beginning to attack the industry. It's, this is cherry picking. This this is low-hanging fruit here. So inside the industry, you need to make sure you've got insurance for everything, you identify your risks, do your own sampling. And don't be afraid to recall your own product and relabel it or somehow it degrades with time. This is a warning for the industry, and we'll continue to follow this because you're going to get spanked if you're not proactive about this. That's my story for today. Jump in and tell me what you think.
0: So, so Dale, this is like an independent customer that just went and bought products and then went and took it to a testing lab and then now is getting a different result than on the label.
1: Exactly, and they had multiple labs do it, and they compared the results. And from from a standpoint of the trust of the sampling, you, you get a bell curve, so you don't have a lot of weird samples. These samples from um, cure—it's not cure leaf. It's um, fuck uh, anyway. The <laughs> the la- uh, steep hill the samples from Steep Hill tended to spike at 20% or above, which means th- this is bullshit. You can't rely on these results. So that's something that should be a cautionary tale to anybody who's having testing done. Test your testing lab every once in a while. Dale,
2: First of all, not
1: trust you.
2: A quick yeah, question, sir. Dale. Um, if, if this goes to court and is actually, you know, brought in and everything, could the argument be made that one item, one product is not enough to really go to court on? Would they have to test a lot more batches to prove that the products are not correct?
1: Well, if I'm defending them, that's where I'm going to go to. I'm going to bring experts in on what they did to prepare their samples, what machines they use, how they standardize them. And then what happens after it leaves the lab? If the lab's correct and it's testing and there's crappy um, handling after that, OK, that's where I'm going to go and say there was no fraud here. Our results were reliable. What happened downstream is on somebody else. That's how I would be attacking this first.
0: Very interesting. I mean, I just I, I think this is brother. this is this is just one of many to come as soon as it's, it's like the. um the ambulance chasers, you know what I mean? There's going to be a whole bunch of people out there going to go buy products. And I feel like it's going to be a seven on your side episode pretty soon too. Just going and buying products. Hey, this test result doesn't match. And it's not just for vape cards is for flour. This is for every single, every single product on the store shelf right now, Dale.
1: Well, and these are basically <laughs> class actions. Now this, uh, when I read the complaint, I didn't see anything about a class until I was almost through the complaint we we file class actions in california and in the federal courts you state your purpose we have a putative class which means we got a bunch of people in the same or similar situation and we are going to represent them that's how this gets very expensive for the people who manufacture or do the testing if you're caught up in these because you may have hundreds if not thousands of people come after you for nominal damages but they add up to millions of dollars so you need adequate insurance You need a risk assessment all along the supply chain and understand where your liability might be and check up on your, uh, you know, put in your contracts that if somebody takes it and handles it after it's been tested, they have responsibility primarily if there's some degradation of the product or something comes up from their handling. These are internal discussions that I have with my clients all the time.
2: If enough people start doing this kind of testing and looking at just random products, I mean, couldn't this, I mean... From a girl who loves standards and regulations, couldn't this be a good thing for the industry? Could this push uh, the feds, the government, the FDA to finally maybe deal with it if there is a public outcry?
1: Well, I would hope so. And in California, you have to put certain things on the labels. Okay, so it's a mandatory thing that you label it. And if it's so untrustworthy, In the supply chain they may have to go back and amend these regulations so it's not a per se violation that you have a number that's not copacetic with your coa these are part of the ongoing tightening up the industry it just may not be realistic to hold someone to a standard uh unless you have other boundaries or parameters on it if if, you know a certain sell by date or it goes back and it's be retested. Something like that. Because this is going to kill some businesses. And if you get caught bare, don't have insurance, and this happens, it, it'll kill your business. I'll tell
0: you There's what, all so- these ambulance chasers are going to go to these dispensaries and ask them for the oldest product on their shelf. And all of a sudden, those items are going to be selling now. And they're going to go and get them tested. And the, all them companies are going to get lawsuits. What do you have to say I- on this?
3: Paul oh, baloney. I don't think the average consumer is anywhere remotely close to going and getting tested. They are already complaining about the price tag they're paying for the product at the shelf anyway. So why would they pay more to go get it tested? And also, like you were saying, Dale, there's just so many factors that are not um, you know, in check here. I mean, where it's stored, how old the product was compared to when it was manufactured versus when it was tested versus how old it or how long it's been sitting on the shelf. There's just there's so many factors that could come into play here. It's it's just ridiculous. And also well,
1: realistic, what happens, Mandy, is these cases get settled. Okay. And most cases don't hit a jury trial. So when you file this, and the more you can tag on to the cost to a business or the, basically the insurance companies, I, I used to be an insurance lawyer and we look at risk benefit, cost analysis, things like that. And sometimes you just pay them off and get rid of them. And there's attorneys fees provisions in a lot of these. So the, the attorneys that do this, take these class actions, they're gonna get paid. Okay. So it's very costly and very often you get these settled. But anytime you settle, the insurance company's gonna demand, we're gonna an internal review before we insure your ass again, you're gonna insure us this is not gonna be a problem. And so the insurance industry will tighten this up as soon as they take a few good hits. And then you may not be able to get insurance. And then are you going to do business with that insurance? I don't recommend you do, but, you know, it's, it's going to be a, a tough sled as the consumers come into this and spank this industry for things every other industries have to been responsible for since the, you know, the Food and Drug Act came about 50, 60 years ago or more back in the 30s.
2: I get what you're saying, Dale, but are they able to come in and bitch? I mean, because the FDA isn't regulating it. So for the cannabis
1: cannabis industry, you get um, right standing, if you will, from state law. And when you go to federal court, you typically hijack the state law up with you. Okay, that's how it works. The the federal government could absolutely fix this. They could come in and they could set a federal standard that could take away a lot of the standing, if you will, to go sue on this. But each state has the right to make their own consumer protection laws. And if you're doing anything in this industry that could get you in trouble, you need to have a team that's aware of that, in contact with your insurance companies, doing R&D testing, a risk assessment person or department in your company, because I'm just telling you, this, this is going to kill some people in the industry.
3: I almost feel like it's time as a manufacturer in the space. You know, there's so many warning labels that we're asked and expected to put on our packaging. I mean, we have to put the Prop 65. This may cause cancer warning. Um, there's mm-hmm. just so many ridiculous things that we're required to put on the packaging. And I can't help but wonder if it wouldn't be smart for manufacturers to start adding a line on their packaging that says, over time, products potency will likely degrade, um, or, or store mean, I mean productions, Right? Because I haven't seen a single cannabis product. I mean, I'm sure they're out there, but I haven't seen one that says store this product at this temperature, right? At all times. Yeah. Well, yeah. it's yeah. not
1: being include, it's it's not being included in the contracts we're working on because the, the distributors don't want to take on the responsibility. And a lot of it involved insurance risk assessment. How do you get identification from others? There's subrogation. It's a whole lot of nonsense that goes into this, but it's part of a risk assessment that any company that makes a consumer product has to go through. And Mandy, I agree. If we put something else on there that hits 20% tested, but you know, a disclaimer, this could vary over time, blah, 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 blah. Would that be enough? I would think that would, Take away, oh, you told me this and it wasn't this. Yeah, we told you this, but we warned you it may not. Be. These are some things that will be litigation strategies or, you know, um, warnings on labels.
0: But Dale, Dale, you know, wouldn't, you, wouldn't you write it much more broader in the sense that you would you would put something on there is saying that cannabis products known to contain uh, THC are known to degrade over time
1: well yeah and i not only in the label but that would be included in the contracts as to why you would have the identification rights from somebody who doesn't handle it properly okay because that's where the rubber meets the road you sue these and you know put 10 people in court and they're all insured it's like well who really is the bad guy here and if you have put the bad guy onus on the person who started improperly or whatever then they pay basically the the lion's share and everybody else gets out these are litigation realities But if if you ever end up bare, man, this is this a killer. It's just really a killer. You need to do the analysis with your attorneys and insurance people and your risk management folks and have an eye on this because this this is another one of those circling the drain type of events. If you're not careful, you will go down the toilet.
0: Oh man, thank you so much for that, Dale. We appreciate that. We got to go to a commercial real quick. We'll be right back. shade thrown on high and nine news are those of the individual speakers and not those of any other speaker or its followers the statements do not constitute legal or accounting advice and our speakers make no representation regarding the legal status of any substance in any country area territory or any authorities the views expressed in this room do not establish any fiduciary relationship and our sponsors do not imply or constitute any endorsement by us the expression of any opinion whatsoever on the part of any speaker on stage if you're an easily offended person this show is probably not for you And maybe you should go and buy some old THC product. If you want to grow some of the best wheat in the world, then you must start with the best genetics in the world. Go to www.dnagenetics.shop to order regular feminized or autoflower beans. All of your favorite DNA genetics cultivars such as Kosher Kush, Skywalker Kush, and oh yeah, Chocolate Truffle Shuffle. Boasting more cannabis awards for their award-winning genetics than any other company in the world. Remember to go to www.dnagnetic.sh to see why our Terps don't lie. Oh yeah, coming up next, it's Mandy Tingler. That's right, she's an Emerald Cup judge searching the world for the best edibles. She's also the owner of Canagram, a delivery service up in the Sacramento area. And of course, the founder of the Woman's Cannabis Awards. Hoping to show everyone how cannabis lifestyle, being a mom, and an executive lifestyle all go hand in hand. That's right. is Mandy Tingler.
3: Good morning, everybody. I have a really interesting article that goes a little bit deeper into the, uh, the decline in California cannabis sales this year. This article comes to us from yesterday's. Forbes.com, the headline reads, California cannabis sales declined in 2022, the first time since legalization. The state generated $5.3 billion in legal sales last year and an 8.2 drop from 2021, and the first drop since the adult use market launched in 2018. So this article goes on to talk about the fact that the drop in California still represents nearly 20%. Of the 26 billion dollar industry in California, California, excuse me, nationally, we represent 20 percent of the 26 billion dollar industry. As many of the cannabis sectors see the state's high taxes as a limited number of disp- and a limited number of dispensaries as the main culprits for the decrease, viewing the legal market as a broken and dysfunctional. As a small farm from Garberville in Humboldt County, the heart of Emeralds of the Emerald Triangle, Johnny Casali is preparing a greenhouse full of mother plants for the upcoming season. He says, most of us farmers have been trying with state regulators that the marketplace is imploding. The drop in retail sales means the customer is tired of paying for the exorbitant taxes and are now buying it from a friend of a friend or the guy on the corner. Despite selling all of their product in 2022, Casali posted a $50,000 loss for the year. The main factor behind his rolling paper-thin margins is the price per pound of weed has plummeted. The wholesale price in California is currently around $665 a pound, which is down 26% year over year, and it's worse for outdoor flower. Since 2017, the year before legal recreational sales began in the state, and through last summer, the wholesale price of cannabis California it, cannabis in California is down over 50% according to New Leaf data services. All of this means that California, which only has about 1,000 legal dispensaries for 40 million residents, grows far more cannabis legally consumed within its borders. The cannabis surplus has led to a price war in the legal industry and intense competition from the illicit market. Casali says he's hopeful, hopeful as demand for this upcoming season is already strong. We're getting orders for this season, he says, but without federal legalization, I don't know how we will fix our supply and demand problem. An investor with position in California and other states says that he's seen greater exporting of cannabis from Golden State, which is a federal crime. So instead of a market within the state, one with legal and illegal operators, there is more interplay between the two. Legal companies are now sending product into other states, particularly New York, in an effort to make ends meet. No longer is this just a rogue ghost distributor. The investor says this of shipments, California cannabis leaving, and brands, quote, are now embracing this. The connection between California growers and New York's market is is a well-worn path. The marijuana economy has long had varying shades of legality as operators cross from the illicit market to the legal market and vice versa. The New York, as New York builds its legal market, the state's gray and illegal cannabis comp- economy has run rampant, thanks to the enforcement of unlicensed to the little enforcement of unlicensed dispensaries in New York and the never-ending stream of cannabis from California. But not everyone views this decline in California cannabis sales as a harbinger of great great turmoil in the industry. Pablo Zunek, an analyst at Cantor Fitzgerald covers cannabis, believes that mature markets like California experienced a revenue boost in 2020 and 2021 thanks to COVID. Now with lockdowns and stimulus checks, a distant memory, inflation is also added to the decline. He also projects that structural issues such as high taxes and the illicit market contributed to the decrease last year, but he expects 2023 to rebound. He notes that there was only an 8% drop after 2023 jump in 2021 and a 68% increase in 2020. And for those paying attention, despite the annual deal, the country's biggest and best weed market. Graham Ferrar, the co-founder of Glasshouse, one of California's mega producers with a 1.5 million square foot greens in Camarillo, says that he doesn't think California smokes less wheat in 2022 than 21. He thinks that the illicit market is simply out competing the legal market in terms of price and consumers are following lower prices. He proposes a call for a tax holiday. Nobody prefers bath chub gin, right? You only drink bathtub gin if legal price is much, says Farrar. We could bring taxes on the consumer down. I think you'll see more people in the legal market. Back in Humboldt, though, Casali said that if the legal market doesn't provide enough economic incentive for longtime cannabis entrepreneurs, they'll quickly go back to the black market. And with demand coming from New York and other states, the temptation is too great. People who entered the legal market want to stay in the legal market and sleep well at night, says Casali. But if that's not possible, we live long enough not sleep well at night, and it wouldn't be that hard to return to the old ways. Now, guys, there's a lot in this article. We are not shy or, or, or naive to the fact that California cannabis makes its way to the East Coast on a daily basis by the truckload. But it's very interesting to me in this particular article about the folks who are commenting on it. And I am very curious to see what my fellow correspondents say. This is Mandy. Did,
0: did you just say it gets there by the truckload, Mandy?
3: Oh, hell yeah. <laughs> okay.
2: <laughs> uh, frankly, you know, maybe I'm not as concerned as everyone else in the world about declining sales in California. I think what people are not looking at when they create these lovely headlines um, is the overall economic picture over years. And if you look at how cannabis has been selling, there was definitely a spike during the COVID period. And to think that it's going to continue on that trajectory is just not uh, not smart. That's not how it works, frankly. And if you were to take COVID out of the mix and look at sales, California would still be on track for where it was. So COVID checks, all sorts of things, people being able to sit at home and smoke all day, uh, those days are done. Um, and so that is why we are seeing a reflection of declining sales this current year. Um, I also do believe that the economy has something to do with it. I do think that some people are having to make decisions. No, I can't be smoking as much, perhaps uh, legal weed, because of how much taxes there are involved with it. Uh, it doesn't mean that they're smoking less. <laughs> Don't laugh at me, Jason Beck. I would love to hear where you got your economics degree. Let's hear uh-huh. it. What you got?
0: Yep. I would we to- say I went to the school of hard knocks with a master's in common sense.
2: Okay, yeah. well, common sense says that you know, a pound of ground beef is going for nine, ten dollars. That shit's what about the eggs?
0: Egg are expensive. I was just in the grocery store the other day and I saw them for seven ninety nine. It's insane.
3: Milk it is insane. about the same. But listen, you know. I think that what was really Gretchen, I mean, I don't expect you to have empathy for California because you're not operating out here and the rest of us are all stuck with a shit storm. So, yeah. um, you know, I get that. But the fact and the reality is that we also see a massive drop off of licensees. There is far too many cultivation licenses and not enough retail space. There's tons of municipalities and even full-blown counties all throughout California that don't allow any sort of cannabis commerce. It's insane. And there needs to be something done about that by the state of California. We need to establish that these these places need to be allowing operations to occur, occur. And then there also needs to be some kind of massive oversight and recalculation of the amount of square footage of cultivation space in each state, not just California. There's far too much,
2: far too much. And Mandy, I, am not saying you're wrong and you may be correct. And, and that I have, don't have as much empathy for California. California screwed up. (laughs) Everyone knows that California is, pardon my language, fucked. Um, and frankly, Gavin Newsom is not helping whatsoever. I'm sorry, Jason Back. What was that? I was just
0: saying? And guess guess who's taking a playbook, a play right out of California's playbook. Your favorite state, New York.
2: Well, they're not exactly going uh, as new as California did. Um, however, um, it, there has to be massive change in California. And frankly, you're not going to see a massive change in the California cannabis economy until there is federal legalization until they can actually legally start moving this stuff with interstate commerce. I mean, you guys are just producing way too much cannabis for what your state needs. You guys need to be the supplier of the country, not of yes. one little state.
0: Oh, yeah, yes. shout out, Gretchen. That's exactly right. California. Well,
1: we actually are.
0: The it's just not all legal. <laughs> it's
1: just not all legal.
0: <laughs> well, it's just not on, It's just not all on Metric Dale, is what you're saying.
1: Well, yeah, and. If they're not, if the rest of the nation's not watching the over-regulation, over-taxing, the local control fucking nightmare we have here in California, then you're learning nothing from us. Because that's the problem. The more you try to rein in this, this dying industry, the more the, the um, unregulated market, the black market, we're told not to say that anymore, but you know, the unregulated illegal market just thrives because that's where the money is. People go where the money is. It, you got, it's like squeezing blood from a turnip to run a business in this industry legitimately. It's very difficult. And then when you have everybody attacking you and you got all these problems, you know, it, it, I have a client who can produce a pound of weed for like 25 cents a gram, okay? And he did that and, you know, he can compete at $100 a pound, but most people, they mark their price at two to $4 a gram, that they need to get to run their business. And you just don't have the margins. If, if the if you, cannabis economy takes another shit like it's about to do and the price drops out, it's all going out of state because it just, it can't run through the industry and people be profitable.
3: I'm just curious, like when I looked at this, when I was reading through it, you know, of course they interviewed the largest grow in the state. And if they alone can produce enough cannabis to supply the entire state of California, where is all that going? I just want to say. And on that note, we can move. Follow them another. up.
6: But um, yeah, we, we got to keep it moving here. Everybody up next. She is the CMO of Event High and the co-host and founder of the revolutionary Rev- professional women in cannabis networking series, Blunt Brunch. Bring us our next story. Adelia Carrillo. What you got for us today, Adelia? we're in clubhouse
4: hello everyone yes hello everyone uh, tuning in from clubhouse today um, so the article title is michigan's marijuana industry sending 60 million to cities and counties with top businesses uh, there has been continued growth of michigan's cannabis industry and it is now paying dividends with the state sending out a little under 60 million to counties and local governments Local governments that have approved the recreational sale of cannabis in their county, city, village, or township will see approximately $51,800 for every retail store and micro business that it's handed out licenses to. So to give a bit of a breakdown, Michigan has only redistributed revenue from recreational sales for the past three years since it was legalized in December 2019. In 2020, it had $9.9 million, which was paid out to local governments, which came out to $28,000 per license. In 2021, this went up to $42.2 million was paid out. And the uh, cost per, or the the payment per license was fifty six thousand four hundred and fifty three, and even though the total revenue sent to governments was seventeen million dollars higher, the amount of money per license sent out fell by five thousand five thousand dollars, which made it that fifty one thousand eight hundred dollars for every retail store or micro business. <laughs> Um, how they are breaking this out is only 30% of total adult use sales will go to local governments, while the other 70% going to schools and the roads. When contributions from last year uh, are paid next to figures from 2021 and 2020, they show for they show an industry in Michigan that shows no signs of slowing down. Um, they also gave a couple of, of examples, and one of them I wanted to notate. It was and I'm probably going to butcher this, (laughs) Washtenaw County which has distributed 40 business licenses, saw the most return at around $2 million. Um, And then there was also Ann Arbor and Lansing, which uh, were the only other cities to eclipse a million in return funding. Um, in this article, uh, for those that are interested, you can also find a doc that is linked, which shows all licensed counts for the fiscal year of 2020. Um, and when looking at the cannabis business growth, the government, the government still need to give approval for businesses to set up shop within their boundaries. Um, However, the number of new dispensaries and micro-businesses has ballooned in Michigan in the past two years. Um, They give a breakdown, whereas in 2020, there were 104 municipalities that handed out 356 licenses in 2021, there were 163 municipalities that reported a total of 748 business licenses. And then in this past year, it went up to 224 municipalities, which registered 1,148 business licenses. Um, the article also goes into the latest figures of cannabis growth uh, coming from the Michigan Department of Treasury, which reported $198.4 million in revenue from recreational cannabis last year. Um, they're going to use another 69.4 million to go to the school aid fund and another 69.4 million to go to the transportation fund. So in total, um, there's going to be $1.8 billion in sales from cannabis uh, that came from last year. Um, one of the other things it states in this article is, you know, although uh, Michigan continues to pull in some of the highest recreational cannabis sales totals amongst states that have legalized it. Um, According to MJ Biz, it's reported that Michigan is the second highest number of cannabis sales per month, um, coming only short behind California. Now, even though these we're all continuing to see these prices seesaw um, in Michigan, they're starting off expensive before plummeting as more dispensaries have opened up. Uh, they're also, of course, seeing illegal cannabis sales, still making a big portion of that industry. Um, alone in 2021, they found that up to 70% of all sales for cannabis in Michigan were actually uh, illegal or came from the unregulated market. Now, the one city that isn't on the most recent report from the Treasury in Detroit is Detroit, actually, which only opened up its first recreational business this January. Um, so with that being said, this is Adelia reporting live for High at Nine at NewsHour. Uh, what do you guys think of these numbers? How do you? How long do you think Michigan will continue to see numbers like this?
0: I mean, Michigan is super, super trappy, and they have a very uh, illustrious uh, freedom market out there as well. So I'm really surprised that their numbers are so, so high.
2: Adelia, is there anywhere in the story that talks about the missing 40 million for vets?
0: <laughs> oh, yeah. I knew we were going to go there today.
2: <laughs> Somebody had to. Sean's not here, so I had to do a little. Well, poking nothing in this article.
4: No, not there.
0: I bet you all this money is part of that $40 million. I'll, I'll, mm-hmm. 40 of this 50 million is is that money. What they
4: did th- give a detail of, uh, like I said, that that link. Um, so I'd be curious if somebody does go through all those numbers to see again, to follow what, where the money's going in each of this, in this document. Mm-hmm.
0: I mean, we need a we need oh, a full God. audit of, uh of, of Michigan. That's for sure. Gretchen Whitmer.
3: One of the things I do about the Michigan licensure process is that it requires the licensee to document um, what portion of their revenue they're donating to a charitable organization out there. It's, It's like a requirement. I think that's really good. Them, I appreciate that for the state of Michigan, yeah. And I they also don't- appreciate that they continue to buy a lot of California weed because all my fellow Michigan business owners call me a bitch all the time about how California weed is ruining their business. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I mean, it sounds about right. I mean, I talk Michigan that's super, super trappy out there. Yeah, it right. hurts the, to be the
6: best, hurts to be the best.
0: Oh, gotcha. I, I'm still. I still bet that's a big. They're, that, they're the veteran's forty million dollars is definitely in
6: that in that fund. We shall see. We shall see.
0: There's a lot of yeah. There's a lot of shenanigans right. going on there with a dirty yeah. Let's right. let, let's let's run that commercial real quick, Adam.
6: Thank you all for tuning in for another great episode of High Nine News. Catch weekdays, 9 a.m. Pacific and High Noon on the East Coast. Big shout out to the live audience members and online supporters giving us feedback on the daily headlines of chaos known as the developing cannabis industry. To our vetted industry correspondent team from all over the globe community bringing us a variety of perspective and adding your expertise and opinions to the conversation the high nine production team cloud nine media partners house of fuego and Jaja zha simone over in clubhouse holding things down keeping our av struggles to a minimum and to the haters out there move to michigan you know got great weed out there to too. and uh yeah, just 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 cannabis sativa l we can do nothing without you thank you as well nothing but love it is what is today? Fucking Wednesday. Wednesday, March 1st, 2023. The show is over. You've all been blessed with today's top entry headlines. We hope it was enough to put in your pipe and smoke it, at least until tomorrow. It is Rico Lemie, the dopest dad on the street, coming in late today, but always on time. Make sure you guys uh, kiss your mamas, hug your daddies, and love on your loved ones. And uh, remember, when life gives you no place else to turn, you can always turn the fuck up. Jason, got anything else before we
0: gotta tap out here? It's, it's 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 happy hump day right after Taco Tuesday.
6: Hey, every uh, day
3: it's man. also the first day of International Women's Appreciation Month, just saying.
6: Oh my god, it's gonna appreciate uh, appreciate the
2: ladies. I don't know about that one, Jason.
6: Why would you give him the air horn, man? Why'd you give him the give them the air horn, bro? Like a Lizzo,
3: a Lizzo yeah. song would have been more appropriate. But that's it for the day. I,
6: don't,
0: I do not have Lizzo. Big shout out for the ladies. Yeah. I do I do have this though. Um, for you.
1: I'm Donald Trump and I approve this message. I love it. There you go. Hi <laughs> everybody.
3: <You're>